Go ahead and have a seat. Take a couple minutes and just kind of focus our attention on the, the cross tonight. Um, I was thinking this week, getting ready for tonight, about the things that offend us. In fact, I even typed in a Google search, what uh, are the most classic ways people are offended? But it was so diverse, you couldn't get anything specific because they're, everyone's offended by different things. So uh, what would make someone offended would make someone laugh, you know? Some of us can get really hurt over something that people don't even notice. It's so, it's so subjective. Um, so let me use an illustration of my own life. I'm going to bring you a little closer and, and tell you one of my offenses, okay? This offends me. A tip jar at a self-serve frozen yogurt store. That offends me. I have no idea why, but it makes us, what else can I do? I've served it myself. I sat down. It, it bothers me. Um, but there's so much diversity in offense. But let me, let me just tell you something. I, I did think about this. There is one thing that offends all people all around the world today and has always offended people for the last 2,000 years, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, I also was reading in Galatians this week, and just to give you some context for that letter, Paul is writing to a church that's had false teachers kind of infiltrate it. And these false, false teachers came in and somehow said about the gospel that it wasn't enough, that you had to add other things like good works or specifically in this case, like the work of circumcision to Jesus to, to equate salvation. In fact, they even charged the Apostle Paul of leading that way or teaching those types of things because they would... They would remind Paul of what he did with Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. He was half Jewish. They were going into ministry with, to a Jew, Jewish audience. And so Paul thought in order to avoid some of the obstacles of ministry to a Jewish audience, he told Timothy to get circumcised. And they jumped on that, these false teachers did, and accused Paul of suggesting there was something other than just the gospel or other than just Jesus alone that saves you. And so in Galatians chapter 5, Paul uh, says this about that accusation. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. There is not only this emphatic statement that Paul makes, but there's an inferred idea that the cross, it's an obvious no-brainer. It offends. In fact, um, in other words, what I think Paul is saying here is, if Paul really did add, add anything whatsoever to Christ alone... If he really did that, then there was no reason for them to um, be offended by the cross. Because if work or religion or effort or sincerity was something you could add and, and work your way out of your own problem, then the offense goes away, right? It just, it just disappears. And, and here's why. Because it says something radically different about you than what the cross alone says about you. If it was Jesus as a part of a, a thousand other parts that you could play in your salvation or dealing with your sin, then the cross doesn't get so narrow. It's not so exclusive. And the offense just dissipates. And so Paul makes that statement about the offense. So I thought for us just for a few minutes tonight to answer the question, why is it so offensive? Why, why does it bother? And, and maybe you're sitting here going, it doesn't bother me. Well, I'm going to prove that it does. And in just a second, but it bothers everyone. The cross is offensive. It's offensive particularly because it's so brutal. It is a horrific story of a torturous execution of an innocent man. Who isn't offended by that? Here's uh, something I find very interesting. A couple of years ago, Mel Gibson came out with the movie, Passion of the Christ. 
And there was kind of this wave of Christian, Christian parents who said, no, it's too gory. That story is too much for my kids. <laughs> and I understand that at, at some point, I do, but I find it interesting that the apostles went to great length to describe in the gory detail of what suffering the Savior had to go through because of our sin, your sin, your kid's sin. And yet we, we think naturally, it's just too much. The story's too much because it's offensive. A couple of years ago, well, this is probably 15 years ago, there was a doctor who published an, a, a, a kind of an article describing from medical terms what it was like for Jesus to suffer. And he talked about the garden. He talked about when Jesus was um, praying and he was dealing with what was about to happen, the weight of the sin of all men placed upon his shoulders. And he was kind of asking the Father, if this cup can be taken away, take it away. And he is so uh, stressed that he is sweating drops of blood. And the doctor talked about the particular circumstances of how that's possible and why it happened for Jesus. He also talked about the scourging, you know, when Jesus was arrested, falsely accused, and they spent that time mocking him and ridiculing him and then flogging him and, uh, and, and all of the things that, that that caused. And then he talked about the cross. And I want to take you through it. He said this, The heavy beam of the cross is tied across his shoulders. And the procession of the condemned Christ, two thieves in the execution detail, begins its slow journey. The weight of the wooden beam, together with the shock produced by blood loss, is too much. He stumbles and he falls. The rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of the shoulders. He tries to rise, but the human muscles have been pushed beyond their endurance. At Golgotha, the beam is placed on the ground, and Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of his wrist. He drives a heavy, square, wrought iron nail through the wrist deep into the wood. Quickly, he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow for some movement. The beam is then lifted in place at the top of the posts, and a title reading, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is nailed into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, the nail is driven through the arch of each. As he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment, he places his full weight on the nail through his feet. And again, there is searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. As the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward, hanging by his arms. The uh, pectoral muscles are paralyzed and intercoastal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but they can't be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to even get one short breath. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rendering cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. The compressed heart is struggling to pump thick, heavy, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to grasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps, I thirst. With one last surge of strength, he once again presses his torn feet against the nail, straightens his legs, takes a deeper breath, and utters his seventh and last and final cry, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's offensive. 
that's offensive. The horrific nature of the cross, the fact that it wasn't just a way to kill a man, but it was a way to torture a man. And Jesus, God's son, the perfect one, hung there and took it all. He drank every drop of God's wrath in that pain physically for our sin. And that's why it offends. But you have to look at it. It's Good Friday. It's what this day is about. We have to stare at what Jesus suffered for us, that God himself tortured his son with our punishment. The cross of Christ is offensive for um, another reason. It's offensive because of what it says about every man and every woman and every child who's ever lived. The cross is uh, specific in what it says. We don't like hearing about our sin or that it made the death of Christ necessary. We don't like thinking about judgment or, or punishment. We'd much rather have positive conversations, you know, things that tell a different story, like we're not really that bad. We just need a few adjustments possibly, or, or maybe um, there's a lot of unlocked potential in us. We just need some, some time. But that isn't the story of the gospel, and it's not what Paul said in Romans 3. This is how bad it is. There's no one righteous, no one seeks God, no one does good, not even one. That's what the cross says. And that's offensive. And the reality of it is we deserve what our sins have earned. The Bible says, Paul said in, in Romans 6, that the wages, what we earn for our sinful life is death. Jesus bore that death for us. So we can try to rationalize it. We could try to blame somebody else and use the victim card, we can uh, try to re redefine sin and call it mistakes or whatever, try to take off the edge and say it's not necessarily an offense against a, a holy God. But the truth is the truth. The, the cross of Christ screams at us and says we're sinners. That's what it says. And that's offensive. One writer put it this way. The cross preaches that you are a glorious creature gone tragically bad. That you have rebelled against the God who made you, but that he did the most difficult thing imaginable to win you back and lavish you with his eternal goodness. It is wondrously good news, but unavoidable is the offense, that insulting supposition that bad news sets up the good news. You've gone tragically bad. You're a foolhardy rebel against the most powerful person in all the universe. There's nothing you can do to save yourself, earn God's favor, or get yourself out of the cosmic pit that you're in, the pit that you dug, and the pit that you can't climb out of. The offense is that the magnitude of God's solution, the slaughter of his own son, shows the magnitude of our wickedness and the frailty of our un utter un inability. The cross declares how dire is our condition apart from Jesus. It announces how deep the sin goes, how profound the rebellion is, how impossible is our plight apart from outside help. There's nothing we can do, no effort we can exert, no law that we can follow. The message of Christ crucified says you're an absolute failure in your relation to what's most important. The horror of killing the Son of God points to the horror of our condition. The badness of Good Friday is a tribute to the badness in all of us. The cross embodies some of the most offensive things possible you could say about someone in relation to God in eternity. This gruesome death, Jesus died, you and I earned it. The hell Jesus endured, you and I deserved it. 
the shame he underwent, the scorn, the disrespect, the hurt, all these are as suitable to us as sinners as they are unsuitable to the sinless one. What the cross says about our problem offends us. It says every last one of us comes up short. In God's mind, we are worthy of the death that Jesus received. The cross says out loud that God's standard doesn't move, that he hates our sin, that it's so abhorrent to him that he killed his precious son in the most unspeakable way. The cross is also offensive because it says that we are completely helpless. Now, you might have heard the last, you know, three or four minutes and said, okay, I'm okay with you saying we're sinners. In fact, in my life, I've never met anybody who said they were the exception to that rule. Like they said, well, I I don't sin. I don't have a problem. I don't need a Savior. I don't need a a cross. They might deny that Jesus is that answer, but to deny that that they have a problem, I've never met anybody like that. And so you might be sitting here today saying, okay, I'm willing to give on on the sin issue, but the cross offends us for a whole other reason because it says this, that you can't do anything on your own to fix it. It's a little bit narrower there. The cross crushes every man-made effort that you could bring, and it reminds us that there's really only one way. There's only one way, and it's God's way, God's solution for sin, that God had to provide a sacrifice big enough, great enough, wide enough, deep enough to cover all of our sin, all of those who, who would believe. And so here's the story of the gospel. God left heaven, came to this earth, took on flesh, lived the perfect life, and he gave that perfect life to unimaginable suffering and separation from God the Father, and he did it to pay for sin. It's offensive to hear that there's nothing I can do, there's nothing good in me that can add to that. And it's not just that we sin. I know we know that. It's it's that we we have uh, problems with our motives and our intentions and our thoughts. If God simply looked at what's on the inside, without any behavior on the outside, we still fall short. We don't desire what God wants. We don't pursue him. We don't see life the way he sees it. We don't honor him as God and creator. We do our thing. We act as our own gods. That's in us before we ever act out. We do wrong, but here's the worst part about it. We can't do right, not the kind of right that merits God's attention. So that's how broken we are. We can't even add. We can't even fix our problem if you even identified that it was there in the first place. And that's sort of offensive. And I don't know if it's unique to Americans, but clearly we got this issue, right? Here's what's ingrained in our minds. The idea that with hard work, you can fix anything. Just put enough time, energy, money, and effort into whatever your problem is, you can make it better. Well, the gospel and the cross of Christ says, no, you can't. You can't make it better. All you can contribute to is to the death and the consequence of your sin on Christ. And that's offensive. You don't have any good. You have nothing to bring to the story but your sin and your inability. The cross is offensive um, as well because it's so exclusive. It's so exclusive. Peter... um, probably the second greatest sermon given in Scripture, I think, um, next to Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. He is quoted in Acts um, 4, this wonderful but exclusive statement. 
and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. That is Jesus. Jesus said himself, I am the way and the truth and life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Now, we have just narrowed all options for sin and our inability to one conclusion, Jesus. There aren't any other options out there. There's no other way to deal with sin. The cross of Christ eliminates all other ways, and that's offensive. Just look around the world. Tell them that Jesus is the only way, and you will stick out like a sore thumb. I, I've told you this before, but I see all other faith systems, uh, whatever you choose to believe in, even if it's yourself as ladders, man-made solutions to the problem, whatever it is, whatever you discern it to be. They're just ways that you can climb your way out of your hole. All other religions are ladders. Only Christianity is a covering. Christianity says you can't climb up. You can't build a ladder. You can't put good works to it. Your efforts don't matter to God. God has to cover you in the righteousness of Jesus for you to go free. And that's the wonderful story of the, of the gospel God transfers to us his righteousness so that we're covered. But the cross is offensive because God transfers to Jesus the debt of our sin. The apostle uh, Paul wrote this. And I want you to just picture, I want you to kind of make it like really tangible in your mind how he finishes this section of scripture. But he says this in Colossians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. I want you to picture this. Every sin that you ever have done, every sin that you have yet to invent or, or practice or experience, God keeps copious notes on all of those. When Jesus died, every one of the charges that meant that there was a death sentence because of it was nailed to the cross of Christ, and God opened up his holy heaven, wrath on his son, and Jesus drank it all down for us. There isn't one sin that we ever could commit that God hasn't fully exacted his rightful wrath towards. And he did it for us. Good Friday is um, a solemn event on purpose. I don't know how you approach it. I don't know if you just start thinking about the weight of your sins and behaviors and what God had to do to make it right with you. I don't know if you came here ready for communion or, or how you approach today, but I, I think most people would say it's a, it's a solemn day. And to be fair, it's not necessarily what you would say enjoyable. I mean, we're looking forward to a couple days from now. Easter, now that's enjoyable. Good Friday, it's pretty intense. But I, d I don't want you to waste it. I don't want you to hide from the horror of the cross because I want it to remind you of the horror of your sin because that's exactly why Jesus died. I don't want you to turn away from it. I don't want you to run from its description of you I want you to wrap your arms around the bad news that you're as bad as it says you are because it makes the good news that you're saved and loved beyond your wildest dreams that much sweeter. Amen? Don't add to the cross. Don't wish there was something else. 
Don't look at what you've done or what you think you've got wired and how you've got life going right now as any sense of hope whatsoever. I want you to look at the cross as horrible and horrific as it is, and I want you to rest there. Because 2,000 years ago, God came for you, and he bore your judgment and my judgment at that horrific, offensive place called the cross. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice and your son who paid the price for us. Thank you for the kind of love that overwhelms our minds, that we are far more loved than we could ever dream possible. And the ultimate description of that love is that the creator God of the universe died in our place. Jesus, the innocent one, the righteous one, the creating one, the sustaining one, bore the weight of our sin. He was rejected. He was forsaken. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was teased. He was hung. He was crucified. He was killed because he had us on his mind. He was dying for his people. God, we confess we're sinners. We confess we did it. We confess our need. We love Christ. We love his work. We love the cross. It screams, it screams about our needs. Thank you for meeting and we pray. Amen.